Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, for a little over a month now, we've been hosting a conversation around things called spiritual disciplines or practices that we uh, feel like are essential to the Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And so uh, I have a couple quotes this morning, and I I really like this definition on spiritual disciplines. It's uh, from Donald Whitney, and it's actually in his book uh, entitled Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. So imagine that. He probably has a, a fairly decent definition. But he says this about spiritual disciplines. He says, the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. And so just a a quick overview as we talk about these practices, practices, as we talk about these disciplines, We're not uh, introducing anything new. We're not necessarily introducing anything revolutionary here. We're looking at simple practices that have been been enacted by people uh, since the foundation of the church in order to strengthen our relationship with God and see it flourish. And so simply put, we're talking about developing lasting habits that will help us grow in our relationship with the Lord We want to move out of the place of simply recognizing something as theologically true, and we want to go into a place of putting our faith into practical daily application. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says this, Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. So as we've been talking about spiritual disciplines, as we've been talking about developing habits that will essentially grow us closer to the Lord, it's in light of this that we would discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Over the weeks, we've discussed uh, a few practices now. Um, we've talked about scripture reading, we've looked at prayer, we've talked about, uh, we actually talked about prayer for a couple of weeks, and last week, uh, Pastor Adam introduced us to fasting, um, and if you have not been able to track with us with any of our messages, we do put them online, they're on our website, they're on, uh, snippets are on YouTube, but they're also on Apple Podcasts, um, but I think I can safely say this with full confidence, Um, Last week, Pastor Adam, that was the best message I've ever heard on the topic of fasting. And uh, I know for me, it challenged and provoked me, did exactly what it was supposed to do to encourage me to fast. Did anybody else here uh, maybe try to to enact fasting? I know a couple people. That's awesome. Um, Let's keep with it. Let's keep uh, keep, uh, trying that. Don't let that be a one and done kind of a thing. Um, but uh, all of these things are things that we want to implement into our daily rhythms of life. Um, And I just want to say thank you, Pastor Adam, for last week, but if you haven't been able to track with us through all of the teaching, they are online. 
And so um, we've got a few more disciplines to highlight. And today we're going to zero in on the discipline of worship. And when I was thinking about this, it, it was a little daunting at first uh, as I was thinking about this concept of worship because um, I, I can't possibly sufficiently cover the topic of worship in a sermon or even a sermon series, if you will. I probably could write a book and still not even touch a fragment of this topic of worship. There's people out there that are far more qualified for me to do that. And so I was wrestling with where I was going to go with the topic of worship as a spiritual discipline. And all of a sudden it became apparent to me, I was like, I'll have to do my own sermon series on this. It's going to be eight weeks long. And I can't interrupt spiritual disciplines for this right now because we have a practical flow. How am I going to do that? So don't worry, I'm not going to jump into uh, like a sermon series inception with uh, another sermon series inside of a sermon series. Uh, As we talk about worship this morning, I want to get this clear that it's a big concept. If you've been around the church for any length of time or the scriptures, you might uh, think of worship and recognize that there's a, there's a relatively big idea surrounding this word. Um, worship is a way of orienting our entire lives around someone or something. Worship is not simply two fast songs and two slow songs before the message time at church. Like what we just did, worship is not just that. That's a part of it. Um, There's far more to worship than just singing. But as we're discussing uh, spiritual disciplines, as we're discussing, discussing, (laughs) discussing practical application, uh, we're we're going to um, we're going to emphasize public and private praise. We're going to talk about hymns, singing, dancing, posture, bowing even reciting psalms, all of these different things, these are the practiced methods in which we engage with the big idea of worship. These practiced methods are the practical part of the spiritual idea. And so we're going to look at worship as a concept. We're going to look at it as a whole, but we're going to eventually wind up discussing what the practical aspect of praise looks like in terms of worship. And so by no means do I want us to get uh, the wrong idea this morning that when Pastor Nate's talking about worship, he's simply talking about music or he's simply talking about singing or that, you know, 30 minutes that we have at the beginning of church. It extends beyond that. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. But the ultimate goal of this teaching is get to, is to get to a place of practical implementation of what worship looks like in our everyday lives and actually growing in a discipline of practicing praise. And so with that, let's begin with this kind of big idea of worship and and looking at this picture of worship. Uh, I like to define it as the active surrender of our entire lives. If we look at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, we can put those up on the screen. Paul would say this, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So with that uh, definition in mind, with that kind of picture here at the forefront, I want to invite you into uh, an honest reflection of the cultural moment that we live in. Um, Because I believe that our culture, society in general, the world around us, is actively combating us in regards to the posture of worship that the scriptures expect for us. It's not one where God is to be worshipped, but rather ourselves. (laughs) The decisions we make on a day-to-day basis aren't contingent anymore on what is pleasing to the Lord, but rather what is pleasing to self. Gone are the days of the WWJD bracelets. You guys remember those? I think Stan still has some down at the Jesus Cafe. So this is, uh, this is the plug for the Jesus Cafe. If you've not hung out down there, uh, it's a pretty cool spot, but you can get a, uh, like a WWJD bracelet. Stands for what would Jesus do? Um, those aren't necessarily popular. Those aren't necessarily in right now. I don't know if they ever were, um, but that's where my mind went. But replacing that mindset is a you-do-you, treat-yourself mentality that has overtaken society. And I think that no one here would disagree with that statement. It's quick. If we look on social media, if we just kind of take a a quick pulse of the world around us, there is this self-absorbed culture that exists. Um, And I I recently picked up this book called Strange New World. Uh, It's by Carl Truman. And he's a professor at Aberdeen University. But he wrote this book, and it's actually uh, talking about sexuality and those things and kind of the, the modern self. Um, it's a pretty fascinating read, but um, he's got this, it's a condensed version. So it's like the, he's got, he's got a book that he wrote for college, and it's like written to academics and smart people. And then he wrote an easily accessible, like, my other book for dummies version that I needed. <laughs> so, so he wrote this book called, uh, where did I, I wrote it down because I don't own that book. It was like three times as long and probably had words that I didn't know in it. Uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So if you were looking up a book and you wanted to be smart, you can get that book. Or if you're like me and you just want to get straight to the point, uh, he came out with this other book called Strange New World. And in the introduction, he makes this statement. This is Carl, Carl Truman. He says this. Where in the past, a person was a creature of God who sought to conform himself to the truth and objective moral standards in pursuit of eternal life, modern man, however, seeks to be true to himself rather than conform thoughts, feelings, and actions to objective reality. Modern man regards his inner life as the source of truth, authenticity to inner feelings rather than adherence to transcendent truths becomes the norm. I want to put it on record that Adam used more words last week that I had to look up in the dictionary. (laughs) That I've had to do in a long time. This was the foreword, Lisa. (laughs) But he 
goes on to say, he says, this is the modern self, one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly only in accordance with one's inward feelings. And it's this idea that we no longer see God as the absolute moral authority, the one from whom we, we dis, from the one whom we obtain truth. We dethrone God from sitting on the place of truth, and all of a sudden we take up that throne ourselves and say, you know what, we're going to define right and wrong. We're going to define what's good and evil because we know better than God himself. And instead of God being the one sitting on the throne, modern man has come to the place where we've decided that we know best. And it's all about what we feel is right, not what God says is right. It's all about what we know to be true to ourselves, not what God has deemed true from the foundation of the world. He goes... Um, I had a friend in high school, a really dear friend. We both started following Jesus at the same time. And uh, probably one of the closest friends I had ever had up until that moment. And we would go to youth group together and we, we encountered the Holy Spirit together. And God was radically changing and transforming our lives. And uh, something began to change. She stopped following Jesus. She stopped coming to youth group. She stopped going to church. She stopped reading the Bible and I remember many, many painstaking uh, just conversations filled with tears trying to wrap my head around why she was walking away from the same God that I had encountered. And this was in high school. And uh, I remember one of the last conversations that we had, um, and it's haunted me ever since. Uh, but she told me, because I was asking her, like, why are you doing these things? Because she would tell me that she still believes in God. She still believed that God exists and that God loved her. But she said that, I believe God would want me to be happy. So I'm going to do what makes me happy. And we were talking about drinking and partying and all the boys and all this stuff. And my heart was just broken. But she said that it, it made her happy. And so she was going to do what made her happy. And that's haunted me and that's broken me ever since because... I want to be clear. I believe that God does want us to be happy. Like God isn't just some killjoy up in the sky that says, I don't want you to do these things because I don't want you to be happy. But he wants us to experience genuine happiness. He wants to experience the lasting joy of the Lord that doesn't come from temporal things. It comes from him. And that's his promise. And that's what he invites us into. But more so than God wants you to be happy, he wants you to be holy. He didn't die for temporary pleasure for you to be happy. He died so that you could be holy and stand righteous in his sight and find everlasting joy and life in him. So as I think about these statements that Carl Truman makes, and I think about uh, the kind of the rise of the modern self, I think about my friend that kind of abandoned uh, what God had uh, designed for her life and started chasing after other things in pursuit of happiness. I see the modern worship of man replace the worship of a perfect and holy God. This isn't new. This isn't just something that has uh, kind of sprung up in the 21st century. 
This is something that has existed since the days of Jesus. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, just beginning in verse 21, it says this, They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. (laughs) Like, God wants me to be happy. And that's all he cares about. It says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And then 25 here, this is where it comes in full circle. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. I like what N.T. Wright comments on this passage. He says this in his commentary. He says, the fundamental problem with the human race is not just sin, but idolatry, a failure of worship. And so the way that I kind of summarize this and, and kind of try to pack it in is that we have this problem. God is worthy of all worship. Man was created to worship. Man doesn't worship God. That is the problem of the human race. That's why Jesus came to set wrong things right, to invite us back into a place where we could adequately worship God. We all worship something. We all worship someone or something. It could be ourselves. It could be the almighty dollar. It could be any other kind of insert your idol of choice here. This would be a perfect time to sing Bob Dylan, right? You got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody, right? If I could sing, I would sing that. It may be the devil. I'm pretty sure I've heard like worship teams do that song on a Sunday morning. Anyway, anybody tracking with me? No, nobody can even give me like a pity laugh here so I can awkwardly move on. Thanks, guys. Ah, There we go. (laughs) I need the... I need those cue cards, right, that they have, like, where they tell the audience to laugh, like the live TV settings. The natural tendency, the natural tendency of the fallen nature of man is one of idolatry. We're given to worship things. We're given to worship ourselves. We're predisposed to worship almost anything other than the God that created us. So how do we disrupt that natural disposition to idolatry? Man, I can read words. I should be able to do this. How do we take our eyes off of lesser things and focus on the Lord? How do we disrupt that natural disposition to idolatry? I believe one of the primary ways we can do that is the practice of praise. And I believe it's a spiritual discipline that... uh, many of us neglect. And so I want to be clear here. This practice of praise, as we talk about it as a spiritual discipline, this act of worship is one to be practiced both publicly and 
privately. So next week, we're actually going to continue our teaching on the spiritual disciplines, and we're going to highlight the need for community and what community actually looks like and the gathering of the saints. And guess what? It's more than just showing up to church on a Sunday morning like this. Uh, And I'm really excited to talk about that. And some of what we're going to talk about here this morning is going to overflow naturally into that conversation as we talk about community. Um, And I'm really excited about that. I think for many of us, the only time we practice praise in kind of the idea of singing to God happens for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. If you're like me, you probably, I don't want to, I don't want to compare yourselves to me here because if you've heard me sing, you know that I can't sing, Uh, (laughs) at least not very well. In fact, uh, I love playing board games. Does anybody here like board games? There's all kinds of board games I love to play. I particularly like strategy games, but my wife really likes this game called Cranium, and it's kind of like a party game. I don't know if any of you have ever played a game called Cranium, but it's like full of like trivia and like drawing and charades, and there's these like certain cards that you can draw where you have to hum a tune, and the other person has to figure out what song you're humming. And if I ever get that card, our team automatically loses because I can't hum a tune or hit a melody humming for the life of me. I certainly can't do it singing. Um, And my wife always makes fun of me. And she's like, how in the world? That's not how that song goes. And I was like, I don't know. Music is hard, okay? I have such, I mean, Adam, you're a saint, bro. I can't, I can't sing. At least not very well. But I still love to do it because God always meets me when I open my mouth in praise. And so I'm almost convinced this morning that the Lord didn't bless me with like some beautiful voice simply so you wouldn't have an excuse to hold on to on why you don't sing to the Lord. (laughs) Because I know some of you are automatically tensed up here this morning. He's like, is he going to ask me to sing? Are we going to have singing auditions? What are we going to do here? Because maybe worship isn't your favorite part of the Sunday morning kind of experience. You come and maybe you endure that and maybe you endure kind of the awkward greeting time that we have that every church planter has told me we should do away with. Uh, because we have like five minutes where we greet one another, and I know that that can be awkward. Uh, I've been told that we shouldn't do that. Anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> maybe you sit through and endure all that because you want to come and you want to listen to me stand up here awkwardly and try to teach the Bible. And you do you. But an important part of our gathering together uh, on a Sunday morning um, is to actually sing to the Lord. And we get that from scripture, but it can't just exist on Sunday mornings. I want to be clear with you. Some of the most powerful times of breakthrough that I've had with my relationship with the Lord have been when I've been worshiping the Lord, where when I've been like driving in the car and just decided to sing to him and nobody's around to hear me or care. I've had a powerful encounter at the YMCA in Pueblo when I had my headphones in and I was worshiping the Lord and didn't even recognize that there were people that were in the room watching me. That was awkward, okay? (laughs) I've had powerful times where I've been in my bedroom 
and things were wrong and things were disastrous and I didn't feel like singing to the Lord. But I did it anyway and the Lord met me in that place. And so I want to, I want to encourage you, if, you're automat- if you have just checked out because you don't like to sing and you don't being like told to sing or these things and it's not something that you really are excited about, please don't check out this morning because I believe that this is a word and this is a moment for all of us to encounter with the scriptures and what God has asked us to do. One of the most powerful times I've ever had in singing was I decided to, I had just had my computer stolen in Las Vegas, Nevada. We were doing street ministry and I was a young college student and I had basically my entire livelihood stolen. I was doing graphic design and uh, was helping like coordinate ministry stuff and my backpack with my external hard drive with all my backups as well as my computer uh, was stolen off of the street in, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada as I was helping a pastor pick something up and load it into the back of his truck and it happened in like 30 seconds. I remember pausing to pray and asking that God would, would do something and return this backpack to me and return my computer. And we went on throughout the day and it was long gone. And in that night, in a moment of worship, I decided to get back kind of alone by myself. And I started worshiping the Lord, singing, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. If you're familiar with that song. And I remember just being compulsed to praise God, even when it didn't seem like a like a logical idea or an emotion. I started praising the Lord and it was in the midst of me praising the Lord saying, you give and take away that my phone rings and I get a phone call. My phone was turned off, by the way. That's a cool part of the story. Uh, but my phone was turned off. My phone rings and it's this guy on the other end of the line saying, hey man, I have your computer and I'd like to give it back to you. I'm here in Nevada on the other side of Las Vegas when I got my computer back. Anyway, it's a cool story, and I'm really glad that I opened my mouth to praise the Lord in that moment. I'm not saying that we praise the Lord to get something from him. I'm not trying to give, give any kind of uh, weird kind of theology behind that. But I'm just, I'm just thankful um, for the opportunity to worship the Lord with my voice and actually open it up and sing. So I want to talk a few things. Why do we praise the Lord in song? Why do we sing? Uh, because, you know, Scripture actually gives us instruction um, about gathering together as a church. One of the reasons why we sing on a Sunday morning is because there's scriptural commands to do it. <laughs> it's not just because we're like, oh, this sounds like a cool thing to do. I, I can't really think of a lot of other, like, uh, places in life, like everyday things where people gather together just to sing together. Um, I guess maybe if you go see a concert, still it's a little different. You're there to be entertained, like... Worship is kind of unique in the sense that we're gathering together to sing to God. But why do we do it? Um, I think the first reason we do it is because God commands it. (laughs) God likes it when you sing. Um, And I'm not the one here this morning telling you, you have to sing to be a good Christian. I'm not here saying that if you want to be like a level five Christian on the Christian Plus package, like you need to sing at least this high on a Sunday morning. Um, God is actually the one that is telling you that he wants you to sing to him, not me. And so 
that's a conversation. If you're, if you're frustrated and this is already making you uncomfortable, please have this conversation with the Lord, not with me after service telling me that you don't like to sing uh, because he's the one that's asking for it. Did you know that the Bible contains over 400 references to singing? And there's at least 50 direct commands to sing straight from the scripture. The longest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, is actually Israel's ancient uh, songbook. <laughs> Most of the prayers that are found in the book of Psalms were actually put to music and they were actually sung. And so I want to I look at just a few of these and I, I, I don't have an exhaustive list. There's so many to choose from, but Psalm 96 verses 1 and 2 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his, of his salvation from day to day. So Psalm 47, verse 6 says this, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. So those are four verses of scripture right there. And those four verses of scripture were commanded seven different times to sing to the Lord and to sing his praises. In the New Testament, we're commanded not once, but explicitly twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to, another, to one another when we meet. And this is going to be the subject of next week, so I'm not going to take too much time here. But I, I want to read these verses to you. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit." speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so I'm not here to beat you up with scripture this morning and tell you that God wants you to sing, so sing. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the mentality here this morning. That's not the, the heart behind this. Um, but I want you to know that there is a scriptural precedent. There is a command for us to open our mouths and make a joyful noise to the Lord in praise. And that's something that we should take very seriously. And I love how the psalmist doesn't say, Week to week, he says day to day. It's something that I would encourage you to make uh, a routine part of your time with the Lord on a daily basis, just as much as you would spend daily time in prayer, just as much as you would spend daily time in the word, I would encourage you to spend daily time singing to the Lord, uh, singing his praise. And that, that might just be something as simple as you putting on worship music and singing along. That could be something as, as you uh, just singing your prayer to God. Um, I believe something powerful happens when God's people sing to him. Did you know God actually sings? I think that's pretty cool. God doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't do. So the second reason why I wrote down, like, why do we sing I think it's to, uh, to emulate God <laughs> because he actually himself sings. So God the Father sings. We read this in Zephaniah 3.17. Uh, he says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. 
I think that that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty phenomenal. So we have God the Father singing. You know, we have Jesus the Son singing. We see Jesus singing hymns with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion right before uh, he died for the sins of mankind. Matthew 26, 30 says that when he had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I, in all of my depictions of the disciples and them going to synagogue, them, all, all of these things, I never really pictured them singing. But we have a clear example from Scripture is that Jesus, along with his disciples, actively would sing <coughs> hymns, sing songs together. And uh, I think that that's pretty cool. Hebrews uh, 2 uh, verses 12 actually quotes Psalm 22 too, uh, when they attribute this to Jesus, where he says, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So we have a picture of God the Father and God the Son both singing. And then what we've already read in Ephesians 5, um, we read uh, a result of being filled with the Spirit is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our heart with the Lord, or in melody to the Lord uh, with your heart. And so we've got this picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all active in song. And so one of the kind of primary things that we kind of set forth at the beginning of the sermon series was we want to look at the things that Jesus did and we want to emulate those because we want to do the things that Jesus did because we want to live like he lived because we want to be like Christ. We understand that Jesus had perfect relationship with the Father. And we want our relationship with the Father to emulate Jesus's. And one of the things that Jesus actively did was sing. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we sing. And this is where I wanted to get to this morning. Um, there's this interesting story in Matthew chapter 21 where the children are crying out in worship to Jesus. They're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And it really ticked off the chiefs and the scribes and the Pharisees um, because they had just watched Jesus come into town riding on a donkey, right? He shows up and he drives out the money changers in the temple. He's turning over tables. He's doing all that jazz. And then he starts healing blind people and lame people. And they're like, what is this guy's deal? They're infuriated. They're not like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. They're mad. <laughs> and he responds in Matthew chapter 21, verse 16. He says, do you hear what these children are saying? And he asks them this question. And they reply, yes. <laughs> And so Jesus says, have you never read? Oh, hold on. I messed that up. Matthew 21, 16. They ask Jesus, <laughs> uh, do you hear what these children are saying? And uh, they're trying to like corner Jesus here because they're calling him the son of David. They're, they're saying Hosanna. This is messianic. They're calling him the Messiah. They're calling him the son of God. And they're, they're like, this is blasphemy. So the Pharisees and the scribes are asking, do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus replies like this. He says, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. 
What you may not know is that Jesus is directly quoting Psalm 8 too, and he's talking about praise perfective as coming out of the mouths of children and infants, and he's actually referring to this in this cry of Hosanna to the son of David, but he's quoting Psalm 8 too, in which this is what Psalm 8 too says in the NIV. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So Jesus talks about praise perfected, right? Right? Uh, that's what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 21. He's talking about perfect praise when it comes forth. The psalmist refers to that same perfect praise as praise that would establish a stronghold against your enemies that would silence the foe and the avenger. I need you to know this because this isn't super popular, but we as the bride of Christ, we as children of God have a real enemy. His name is the devil. His name is Lucifer, the Satan. However you want to refer to him, scripture often uh, refers to him as the accuser, but he's referred to as our foe, our adversary, our enemy. And I need you to know this real quick, that one of the primary reasons why we sing is that in the power of praise, it has the potential to silence the lies of the enemy. This is what Jesus would tell us about our enemy in John chapter 8. And he's talking uh, here in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. This is talking about the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I need you to know that the enemy is a liar, (laughs) and he wants you to believe so many different things about yourself and about God that completely are not true. And one of the primary ways we stop the voice of the enemy lying to us about ourselves and about God and about where we are in standing with him is through the place of praise. I believe praise establishes a stronghold against our enemies and it silences the foe and the avenger. I know that many people in here have bought into the lies that the enemy has spoken to them and over them for far too long. That you're unloved, that you're not good enough, that you don't have a place at his table. Maybe you're here this morning because you just... You're here out of obligation. Maybe a spouse drug you here this morning. Maybe you look at your situation and there just seems to be no hope in in spite of what God may have already promised you about what he said he was going to do. And you've left questioning and you've you've been left wondering and you've been left wanting. I want to tell you this morning that I believe praise has the potential to silence the lies of the enemy. So this was, uh, this was kind of the moment where I decided to pause. There's so much more about praise that I want to get into, that I want to talk about, that we'll eventually get to, maybe not through the course of this teaching on spiritual disciplines, but I want to talk about praise as a weapon 
You guys remember the story of Jehoshaphat and he sends out the singers in front of the army and they, see, they experience the victory of the Lord because there's power in praise. There's power in us actually opening up our mouths and praising the Lord. I want to talk about Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas, they're in prison and they're bound and they're suffering trial and persecution. And what do they do? They open their mouths and they sing because they find strength in the trial through the place of song. I want to talk about the, the link between praise and joy that we see kind of just spread all throughout the Psalms and how intertwined they are because sometimes singing will bring about joy and sometimes you sing because you've been brought to a place of joy and, and talking about how those kind of intertwine. But I want to pause here for a moment and I want, to, I want us to, to stop and pause and practice what we're talking about. I'm going to invite Adam to come on up. Because we can talk about praising the Lord all day long, but it does us no good if we don't actually do it, right? Amen. Same way that we could talk about prayer and you can hear sermons on prayer, but if you don't actually pray, it does you no good. I often find it's easiest to praise when things are good when there's money in the bank account, when there's food on the table, when life is easy and we have plenty to be thankful for, it's easy for us to come and say, God, you're good. But we know life isn't made up of those circumstances. I know that there's pain in this room of things that did not go the way that you thought they should. And it's a lot harder in those moments when you're experiencing pain and loss and tragedy and hopelessness to still stand and say, God, you're good and I'm going to praise your name. It's hard. I get that. But what do we do when we don't feel like praising? What do we do when we don't feel like giving God glory? What do we do when we don't feel like saying thank you, Jesus? Because honestly, the place where I am right now kind of sucks. It's easy to praise God when everything's going smoothly, but it's not always the same when things are difficult. I want to tell you, we sing anyway. Because God's worthiness isn't based upon what you feel. It's found simply in who he is. Circumstances change, but he does not. And it's in those times where I feel disconnected. It's in those times where I most feel like not praising God that I really need to open my mouth and sing. And it's in those moments, it's in those places where I felt God encounter me the most. Can I tell you, just uh, two days ago, my kids were sick. My wife was having just a terrible time because my kids are awesome. But sometimes they're difficult. And it was one of those difficult days. 
and everybody was on edge and everybody was upset and everybody was frustrated. And If you were to walk into our home, you would have not felt the peace of God. <laughs> you would have been praying for us and interceding and you probably would have started fasting, I hope. It's just one of those difficult days. We have them. And we sat down to dinner and we, we kind of prayed the prayer that we, we normally do before we eat. Thank you, God, for this food. Thank you for this day. And man, I was just convicted. I just was kind of struck like, this isn't enough. And I knew that we were, we were hurting. <laughs> Nobody was happy. <laughs> and so instead of going on and saying our quick prayer and kind of getting through dinner, we just began to praise the Lord. You know, we didn't bust out into melodic song. I didn't get Kelly on the piano and have the worship team singing. But it was just a simple pause where we just stopped and we paused. We started to praise the Lord and just tell him that he was good and begin to thank him for what we had. And can I tell you, it changed our perspective from that moment on for the rest of the night. It wasn't something like completely just life-altering or anything like that, but I want to let you know that there is power in pausing and praising the Lord. But what do we do when we feel like we can't sing? Is it even okay to sing words when our hearts aren't necessarily in it? Because I've been in those moments I've been standing in this congregation on a Sunday morning when we're singing, Lord, you are good. And I don't really feel that in the moment. And we live in a culture and we live in an age where we value authenticity so much it begs the question, can I even sing those words if I don't feel like it right now? I want to give you permission, yes. <laughs> It's not lying, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to tell you to silence your doubts and pretend like maybe you don't have struggles. That's not what I'm getting at this morning. God wants to hear those. He wants to meet you in those. But I remember a phrase that was popular a number of years ago. I think it was coming out of the House of Prayer movement, but Laura Hackett would sing this kind of refrain over and over and over again. And she said, she would say, sometimes you have to sing your way into the truth. And that has kind of stuck with me that sometimes I need to sing what is true until my heart matches up with what I know. So by no means am I trying to tell you to to hide yourself or not be real with God. If you're depressed or if you're hurting, be honest with the Lord. Tell the Lord about it, but don't let those things rob him from the praise that is due his name. I'm reminded of David, right? The great psalmist, the songwriter of Israel. The majority of the psalms are attributed to him. known as a man after God's own heart. Guess what, dude? That guy struggled with depression. <laughs> you read some of the Psalms and you're like, somebody get this guy a Prozac, right? He never once let 
his state of emotional distress rob God of worship. When we read the Psalms, he may have these downward moments, he may have these, these moments of despair, but continually the theme is over and over and over again, it comes back, yet I will praise the Lord. I want to leave us with Psalm 43. going to read verses 4 through 5. I'm not going to sing them, don't worry. This is what David says. He feels like God has abandoned him. Then he goes on to verse 4. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And on the harp, I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? The New Living Translation just says, why are you depressed? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.